everybody, and welcome to the Angry Sun Zone. Today, we have an engaging topic of discussion here. We're going to talk about the various mechanics in, in card games, board games, dice games, randomness that goes on in video games. And maybe we'll talk about some board games too. I don't know. Uh, we were going to get to that topic uh, last episode, but we were too busy looking up the combat rules to Dungeon Quest to be able to figure that one out. Uh, so... Today, I've got myself with me, of course, Santo, because that's how presence works. Uh, Alex, you're here, too. I am here, in fact. Uh, Sean, you're here, too, aren't you? Yellow. And who's that? It's Matt. Recurring special guest, Matt. <sighs> yeah, we're, de- we're deporting him tomorrow, so we figured give him a send-off on the podcast here. Yeah, literally recording this at the last possible moment before I'm supposed <laughs> to be in an airport. Alright, so uh, let's get started and deal ourselves our opening hand to discussion here with uh, how we feel about card games. And as a, you know, we like to talk about games, but listeners, you can play games as well while you're listening to this podcast. Uh, drink every time I bring up magic. Oh god! <laughs> in the, in 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 this uh, uh, discussion here, that's a dangerous game, <laughs> listeners. Well, at least I'm not going to bring up magic because I'll respond to magic, but I don't. What do they do when other people bring up magic? Is that like drink twice? Okay, tell you what. If I bring up magic first, you take two drinks. Otherwise, only on sentence. <laughs> there we go. Well, maybe I'll start this off because it was kind of my idea for this. Uh, I have been just playing the crap out of card card based game mechanic games at this point. Like, I finished my first ever JRPG just because it was a card based JRPG or like card styling kind of thing. The mechanics were still the same as uh, Voice of Cards, The Isle of Dragon Roars. It's a Squeenix game, like a Square Enix game, and I hate Square Enix games. I promised myself, I think when I bought FF12, I would never, ever buy another Square Enix <laughs> game, because I always get about 10 hours in, and then get bored. This one is only about 10 hours to play, so it was perfect. But <laughs> what's really cool, aesthetically, is number one, and this is something that we'll talk about later, they have a narrator. They have a very amusing, good, baritone narrator. They're pulling on like the Bastion and Transistor threads for me there. And two, the whole game map is actually just stylized cards, like mountains and blah, 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 road, enemies, whatever, right? So it's got a really cool stylized aesthetic, it's got nice art, music's good and all this. But it's still a JRPG where it's a text-based menu system with like a little bit of uh, customization on what abilities you actually take. But otherwise, it's the same as every other JRPG I've played. And for some reason, it just clicked right, and I tore through that. But then there's also a different style of that, which is, I know you guys have talked about before, uh, with randomness and stuff, actual just card-based games that are their own thing, like deck building uh, is one I'm really into. Uh, I've been playing this other game called Trials of Fire, which is like a combination of a cards deck building game and a board game at the same time. Uh, which is really fun for me. And I've played, I don't even know how many roguelikes are freaking card-based now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all of them. It, it is absolutely an indie trend right now. It, I'd say it has been for maybe the past couple of years of putting cards or dice into your combat system in a video game. And it's it's not even like 
specific genres even like there's like it's everywhere traditional jrpg type rpgs that are doing that there's games that are more like dungeon crawlers that are doing that uh there's games that are not even either of those i mean the earliest game I can think of, video game I can think of that has cards, so to speak, would maybe be the Mega Man Battle Network series, which is actually just huh. an action game that sort of has cards. Oh, yeah. That happened with Kingdom Hearts 2, where it's just like, suddenly there's cards in an action game. Yeah, yeah the the uh, one of the spinoffs. Death Before well, okay, Sleep no, or something one, like that? Not, not one of the spinoffs. One of the canonical games that was released on completely different platforms than the main series. Yeah, yeah. one of those. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, I've actually noticed that um, the Mega Man Battle Network combat system has essentially been cribbed whole cloth in a bunch of indie games in the past couple of years. Like, how so? How Because usually, so usually the, the way that these card games work at least in like the roguelike deck builder sense, is there's always a resource system. There's always uh, a way, like drawing cards is always very important. Uh, this is all outside of the actual deck building, and there's all your passive effects. And like, uh, for example, in Trials of Fire, just as I already talked about, you have to actually discard other cards to create energy to play your cards as well. Yeah, so the, the, the sort of trend I'm talking about with the Mega Man Battle Network style combat system is essentially there's a grid divided into two colors, your side and the enemy side, usually red and blue, and you use cards to summon characters on the grid, but then the characters can either be directly controlled and uh, you can give commands to them, like to shoot or shield or things like that, like an action game, but you're limited to spaces on the board on your side of the field. Uh, but mm-hmm. then there's also card-based mechanics to summon your own uh, characters, essentially. And that that's sort of... It's a very specific way of making a combat system that's kind of like an RPG, but kind of like an action game. I, I, I kind of like it, at least in the Mega Man Battle Network games. Uh, but I've noticed a lot of indie games kind of using that. I can give you no examples, because I haven't actually played any of them. One Step from Eden. Yeah, I was thinking there something like that. Well, it's interesting, because I don't... It feels like there's not so much big fields that you're using. Well, I haven't seen a lot of big fields like you're describing and playing cards on them. Usually it's... Like, for me, Slay the Spire is pretty much the perfect roguelike card card builder, right? And you're not actually summoning things most of the time. You're just modifying your own character or interacting with the enemies. Yeah, that is more the style that I'd say has been trending. Yeah, like the cards are your actions yeah. that you yeah. perform. You don't have a menu of preset. Okay, I can, you know, fight magic, defend. You're, you have a hand where you've got, you know, three different attacks and some kind of defensive option that are all stuff you put in there in the first place. Yeah. Which I, I really like. Like the whole building the deck as you go to like decide what your power what your power style is gonna be, what kind of attacks, knowing when to like weed out other cards to like maintain your energy slash usefulness levels as like the game ramps up. I don't know. For me, it hits like the good tactical and strategy edge, and it's always different if you do it roguelike style. And it kind of works into my own play style of just liking games where you explore new mechanics and tactics kind of thing. Yeah. And having a ton... You can have so much ability uh, variation in a card game, especially depending on how much art asset is required for a new ability or attack or whatever. You can have a huge variety. And 
I don't know. For me, it's it's so much fun being like, hey, there's this challenge you got to do, but I'm in this build. Crap, I'm screwed. Yeah, I think, like, to me, like, me looking at, at you know, why this is trending, I think as a, mech, as a game mechanic, it's really good for being able to introduce an element of randomness into your battles without feeling like the player is losing control of what's happening, right? Um in particular with cards, if it's a deck builder, like, you put all those cards in there. If you got bad cards, it's kind of on you. Not entirely, but partly. Yeah, and... I agree. Um, and one of the weird things is that, like, despite the fact that it is, like, super random, uh, you're it, because of the deck building nature of it, you are actually giving the player more control because you're giving them more ability to set what their options are and you know you said like you know card based jrpg a lot of jrpgs like some characters are just like this is this character has this specific role this is all they do and you can mix and match your party sure but there's usually a limited amount of control you can have over how you play that game uh with you know introducing hey i'm gonna build a deck of cards that's so many more variables for the for the player to control that that's something that i think not only is like super engaging but also gives me a feeling of like mastery uh, right mastery or like like agency or may maybe there's a better word for it that i'm just not thinking of but basically like the fact that this is my deck this is how I play this. This is unique to me. And, you know, it makes it feel more personal. Yeah. I definitely yeah. like that. Yeah. I think also it it has an intuitive nature to the probabilistic aspects of what's happening. If you have a 60-card deck and you have four cards in that deck, then, you know, you know that or let's say you have six cards to make the math really easy, but I don't want to divide four into 60 right now. Uh, I guess it's not that hard. It's 15. It's 15, yeah. But anyway. <laughs> so yeah, okay, so four into 60. You have a 15% chance. Hey, you did the math. I solved my problem. Uh, so you got a 15% chance of getting a card then. And people understand intuitively that that chance is going to be, you know, not zero, but not too high. Well, but what they 15. don't intuitively understand is that... 15%? Four cards in a 60-card oh, deck on a one-draw? There's no chance. Dude, I didn't even double-check the math. <laughs> you said four into 16. Four goes... Or four into 60. Oh. Four goes into 60 15 times. Uh, <laughs> if you're looking for probability, I've got news for you, but that's difficult. Yeah. See, as four, we can clearly uh, see, like what is not intuitive is the math. 60. Yeah, you can tell that we don't have a calculator on the podcast. We only have a mentat over here, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Santo. Anyway, a better example is something like, uh, like if you have a 95% shot in XCOM, and when you miss, everyone gets very upset. But if you roll a 1 on a D20, everyone's like, oh, yeah, yeah, the 1 comes up sometimes. Like, they're upset, but they, they understand that it wasn't a guarantee. And that actually kind of gets into the, the other trend I've seen where games are using dice rolls or systems very similar to dice rolls uh, very explicitly 
even games going so far as to actually render phys- like render dice objects <laughs> rolling. Yep. <laughs> you know what's interesting? And the first time I saw it, I thought it was completely bonkers. I was like, why would you render dice? Like, this is insane. But uh, but it's it's about giving people the intuition for the probabilities that are happening. And also, when you look at something like, you know, dice versus, like you're saying, the XCOM-style percentages, it shifts the perspective, I think, of, you know, I am being fucked over by the game, which is, you know, which is inherently frustrating versus I am being fucked over by the dice, which are, you know, a potentially anthropomorphic, you know, agent that you can shake your fist at and be I like, Lady the, Luck is screwing me I can play today. the dice gods instead of the devs. That's right. Yes. And... And I think there's something there's some, there's something deeper in that that I'm I'm mulling over. But I think that in terms of game psychology of what you want to do to achieve a fun game, thinking about those considerations when you're designing how a mechanic should be implemented is is uh, is, is is important to avoid uh, people ragging on your game. Uh, yeah, and then I think also it's also in part. Uh, just riffing off of, you know, pen and paper RPGs, like Dungeons yep. and Dragons. Or, uh, I don't know of any card-based RPGs, to be honest, but... The loop like, hero? Like, table, like tabletop <laughs> RPGs? Or... Yeah, tabletop. Yeah, tabletop. Um, yeah, tabletop. tabletop Munchkin? Card RPG. Oh, yeah, Munchkin. Kind of? Munchkin's sort In a very of. unsatisfying way? Munchkin <laughs> is a card-based RPG, and it is also quite unsatisfying. Yeah. Sorry, listeners. Not not a good gaming group. Will you like Munchkin? <laughs> Munchkin's okay. For what we can leave that one alone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone here actually likes this current trend of like card games, or are you into it? You're not really into it. You don't give a crap. Uh mechanically, like yeah, I, I I'm pretty into it, but I, I I just get wary with any kind of like gaming trend with this. Is like when does it jump the shark? When does it go over the edge where it becomes oversaturated? And I, I, feel, like, I feel like we may be at that point. I we may be past. I mean, when when I've already been hearing now, like people talk about like. Slay the Spire in, like, hallowed, like, inspirational terms. I'm like, okay, I think we've gotten to the point where this is just a thing now. <laughs> Probably. And, like, yeah, I mean, Slay the Spire, like, I haven't played good. it myself, oh, and so I, but I've heard you talk about it so often that, like, it deserves its status. But, like, this is this is the kind of depressing that, pe- that I... Like, if somebody said that, like, if a modern rock band today said that Kings of Leon were their inspiration or something like that. That just, that just makes me sad. You get the the fact that you're a millennial, but that doesn't mean that you're 16 anymore. Kind yeah, of thing. pretty much. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think, I think the mechanics themselves, you know, lending intuition to probability in your game can help make a game with randomness more fun. So I, I, I like that mechanically. Mm-hmm. Um, cause, but you do know, you like it as a player? So I haven't actually played that many games with mechanics like this, but one game that I have played that I've talked about on the podcast before is For the King, and yeah. I actually really like the way that that game handles its uh, essentially skill checks uh, because it has skill checks for various events that happen on the overworld, like you maybe there's a a, a rock slide that you have to dodge, and yeah. so you have to use your dodge stat. But it's a 
dice check in that game, right? Um, it's weird because it it's it's like probability checks that masquerade as dice checks because you have a stat. Okay. And your stat is actually just a number from one to a hundred, and you can buff it with items or potions or whatever. Sure. Or have it nerfed. Uh, but then different events in the game have a different number of checks, which are represented by hexagons, which kind of look like a dice from the side. And I think that they've kind of done that intentionally. Okay. Like a D6 from a certain angle is hexagonal. It's yeah. A, yeah. Yeah. And there are also, uh, of course, hexagonal. Okay. There are there are hexagonal uh, polygonal polygon. No, hedrons. Polyhedrons. Rhombus. No. No. Rhombus. <laughs> yes. Oh, no. uh, let let let's start rolling rhombuses. Oh, yeah. Okay. Rhombi. Yes. How, can I, how do you roll the rhombines if you're Canadian? <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, I really like the way that the game essentially gave you different cha- uh, different skill checks uh, by having essentially multiple dice rolls. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's And it also like makes a little sound that sounds kind of like a dice rolling. <laughs> okay, all very right. good. Very Pavlovian. Like, like the it's tactile. Di- yeah. yeah, that's what I mean. Like the stat is 1 to 100, so it's a percentage, but... It's still a dice roll. It's like they've intentionally made it They're feel all- like a dice roll. You can get a golf ball that's just a 100-sided die. So, I have, I have you know. rolled a D100 before. Yeah. It's a pain in the ass. It is. <laughs> Trying to figure out what you actually rolled can be a hell of a thing. Yeah, uh, yeah that can. But, uh, I mean, I don't know. I'm obviously super into this. Um, and there's definitely... There's really good deck builders like this. Like, um, obviously Slay Aspire I'd put in there. I just started one recently called Monster Train that looks pretty good. Uh, I've heard well. great things about Monster Train. It, it looks kind of like a kid's game to me like just looking at it it doesn't quite hit the same like cool style of Slay the Spire where everything's like kind of angular and alien looking kind of thing you know it's not everything has to be gamer Matt (laughs) I know I know but either way damn it's fun oh my god so much fun and like I was saying different factions blah 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 but then you also have the other end where there's something like and it's not that bad of a game um fights in tight spaces which is a fine game it's a little Cards. It's basically Slay the Spire, but with like a 007 agent, and your cards are all martial arts moves or like knife moves and like yeah. grappling stuff, right? And it's okay. It's not super fun. It's not. <laughs> it's not got a ton of replayability for me, because I don't. I think where it fails is when you have like a fantasy setting. It's really easy to be like, okay, this is the red guy. The red guy attacks really fast and really hard. This is the green guy. The green guy heals. And this is the blue guy. He's tricky. Mm-hmm. When it's okay, your martial arts, you got the knife attacks, you got the kicks, you got the grapples, and you got the punches. And that's pretty much it. Like, there's not too much interesting variety you can go on that. And they do a different, like, little effects, but it doesn't feel dramatic enough. It sounds like they need a weapon triangle. Yeah, Clearly. something like that. <laughs> Which, the enemies have weapons. But you can only have ever have a knife, as far as I can tell. And I feel like they need to... There needs to be that freedom to push your deck styles uh, far apart to actually encourage replayability in this kind of game. Yeah, um, like, just have just having a random set of mo- actions that you can perform, like, that, that doesn't enhance 
the gameplay, it's the variety that matters. Yeah. There needs to be variety, and I wouldn't necessarily say obvious build paths, but, like, general ideas, like, oh, this would be a cool combo kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And you should have multiple different combos happening in different ways, and ideally some immersion stuff where, you know, the developer programs things broadly enough that they can't fully uh, anticipate every possible interaction. You know what? Uh, that actually reminds me of an important thing that I've noticed throughout deck building games is that um, especially if there's a large player base, eventually the players and fans will find the meta, whatever that is, and you'll encounter a lot of min-maxing. Um, and where you have a multiplayer game the designers really need to pay attention to this because it can lead to some very stale things, which is why I think a lot of multiplayer card games end up being like living card games where they're rotating things in and out to keep it fresh. Um, but then also... I mean, they're also rotating things in and out to make money. Well, that too. Yeah. <laughs> and can they make <laughs> money, if their, make money? Ga- <laughs> if their audience thinks their game is stale? I doubt it. Um, but yeah, when it comes to... Um, you know, games that are multiplayer, I find that what they might tend to do is compound the card element with another random element, usually dice or whatever it is, but essentially add another layer so that the winning combinations tend to have caveats or or drawbacks that would be be just enough of a cost that you're willing to consider things outside of the you know what everyone online tends to say is is the min max strategy to victory so that's one of the things that you know for me when i play a game um i'm a total information kind of guy i tend to look everything up and i don't give it i don't give a one flying iota of a fuck about spoilers on anything um so yeah, usually I can actually tell immediately the the quality of of a, a of the meta game of a card game just by looking at how people talk about <laughs> how you're supposed to win this game online and and how vitriolic and annoyed the the, pl- the player base is about uh, those particular combinations of things. Yeah, <laughs> I like how we have two two uh, sides of the spectrum here, where we have Sean, who you know loves just like you know getting getting the information and just like having the optimal play style and matt who likes to explore everything at first it's interesting well i was actually going to bring that up is and this is maybe jumping ahead a little bit but if you had to describe yourselves as a gamer for the type of game you enjoy what would it be like in like one or two words ball gamer shit poster (laughs) <laughs> I was hoping for more serious answers, but that's well. Let me let me give an example, okay? Yeah, give me a bit of time to think. Like like you just said, you stamped me with the 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 the, the Ex- explorer. No, you branded me, branded me with the explorer on the forehead. That's what you did. Yeah, and you're right, but not in the way you might think. Because I fucking hate open world games. <laughs> I fucking hate open world games. I hate them. They're just not fun. Like you're you're among some friends here. I'm aware. There's reasons why we're friends. But like Don't the, go outside. The the Skyrim ex- exploring, I can't do it. Like I can't do it. It's just boring. But exploring we, mechanics and lore. In the past. Yeah, exactly. But exploring like mechanics and lore, that's what's cool to me. Yeah. Like one of the big Mass Effect is probably will probably remain among my top two game series ever. 
or games ever. Uh, mostly because of the universe that they built. And you don't go and like see every piece of this universe. You get to read about it. I said get to because I'm a nerd and I like reading. You get to read about it in lore entries and learn about it from interacting with the species, uh, just all over the galaxy and things. And you learn a whole bunch of things about all these different galactic civilizations and all this other stuff without having to go fucking walk anywhere, <laughs> which is really nice. I just want to read about it. But then on the other hand, um, in the Mass Effect 3 game, when they introduced the multiplayer, I played the shit out of that multiplayer because the mechanics were really in-depth and there was really interesting combinations you could do based on who was on your team. And there were tons of different uh, operators, let's call them, that you could play as that totally shifted up your playstyle and who you wanted on your team as well. So mechanically, it was very dense. So I'm an explorer so long as I'm interacting with the material and not walking along it kind of thing. Yeah. Which is why you and I have a Dark Souls fight coming up at some point because it's the same thing where Dark Souls is an explorer's game, but I would argue it's not open world. It kind of is, but the point is to explore as you go and see all the different areas and connect them together lore-wise just through what I would call, and you will hate me calling, atmospheric storytelling or... There's a specific term for it, but you read the items and they tell you things and you see things and it's cool. Yeah, we'll have to have that fight another day. Another day. <laughs> so I'm going to Because I could go off right now, and I... I let's try to We're at 30 minutes, so we're good. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. You know what's, what's funny is that what I was thinking, and very much is in line with what you're saying, but I was, I was going to use a very different word, which was novelty seeker. Oh. Um, because, you know, one of the things at this point in my gaming career that I don't get paid for... Uh, is that not yet? Not yet. Growth mindset. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I've played pretty much any type of game that I can get my hands on. Right? There are some genres that I don't particularly care for that much. Uh, but I've basically played every major genre that exists, as far as I'm aware. And uh, it's always something where I'm excited when a game does something new mechanically. Right? I love a game that does something interesting mechanically that I haven't seen before. Uh, this is why, honestly, these days I mostly play indie games because those are the games that are actually innovating in or trying to innovate mechanically yep. these days. Uh, there's nothing wrong with uh, you know being just well executed uh, mechanically, but it, it, it doesn't grab me anymore. Even if a game is well put together. If it's not doing anything new, I'm just sort of like, oh, this is just like that other game. And unfortunately, usually the other game I played before was better. Or you <laughs> liked it more. <laughs> or I liked it more. Shall we riff on the AAA games industry for taking reuse, reduce, and recycle a little bit too literally for their industry? Well, let's, <laughs> let's wear this topic up first. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, AAA games are kind of a nightmare area these days. But... Uh, like I said, indie gaming has tons of like interesting new stuff going on. Yes. Yeah. And I do also like understanding the lore of a game sometimes, especially when it's a bit like, especially when you kind of need to work to figure out what's going on. Yeah. There's two games in particular that come to my mind on the lore aspects um, because they really don't give you much of anything unless you kind of like seek it out one of them uh risk of rain 2 which we've all played quite a bit of uh, yep. actually has like a, a hilariously deep lore to it 
but it's exclusively up to the player to seek it out because it's all essentially given through item descriptions and enemy descriptions that you just unlock by acquiring those weapons or beating enough of those enemies and you just read it on your own time in the menus. Yeah. Like not, not even item descriptions but like log entries that you get yeah. for unlocking the items that sometimes don't have anything to do with the item you unlock but it's just here's some more lore. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but it's got a like pretty intricate lore to it that I I find interesting. Um, another game that had like incredible lore that wasn't really necessary or related to the gameplay, particularly uh, Metroid Prime. I was literally thinking of that game when you yeah. were talking about this. I love. I mean, they have like an entire characterization of this boneheaded, incompetent like, blundering into success kind of research program that the space pirates are running with, like, incompetent space pirate scientists, <laughs> like, yep. having, like, trying and failing at genetic experiments, but then they eventually succeeded, kind of, and then that's one of the enemies you fight. Um, like, a Phazon-infected uh, Omega pirate, I think yeah. is what it is. Anyway, uh, the lore doesn't really have much to do with the game, but it's just really fun to like read through, and it's it's entertaining and well written. Uh, and then another and then another game I was going to mention that hits me on both of these counts in terms of like the novelty, it a fucking Transistor. Yeah, Hell, yes. oh yeah. Uh, Pretty much any supergiant game, honestly, follows this exact formula. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd say Transistor really executes on it. Transistor executes on everything the best. It's ev- yeah, it's so good. We've talked about it before. We'll probably talk about it again. If you haven't played Transistor, just fucking just play, play this game. We're all talking about it all the time. Yeah. Literally perfect. Literally perfect. Yeah. Your, but, your negative comments are wrong. But one of the interesting things that the game does is that it experiments with mechanics in really interesting ways and it integrates and it integrates the experimenting of mechanics with unlocking lore, which is just such a cool way to do it because it gets people, like it 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 gives you an incentive to really fully understand how the game's mechanics function. So, I love that because that's exactly how I feel about Dark Souls as well, all three of them, because I'm gonna I'm, I'm just standing on this hill for dying for later because I've been wanting to say all this Dark Souls stuff the entire time I've been listening. Um, again, you are slowly exploring this world. You're getting bits of lore from the items and like implied uh, like context clues of exploring what's around you. And over time, as you get deeper and deeper into the game, you get more clues that kind of tie them together a little bit. So you're very slowly figuring out the stories. You get stronger and further into this game. And maybe, for example, you like a certain sun salute and you decide you're going to start using this guy's sword when you finally find it kind of thing. And it's just a regular sword. You would never, ever use this sword at this point in the game, but it's that one freaking Artorius' sword. I'm going to use this sword kind of thing, right? Um, And I would argue... Maybe not argue. I would say that at the time, and you can see this from the genre it spawned, that Souls games were a very unique type of game to play, at least in the Western sphere. Um, to the point where they spawn, have spawned Souls-like, which is very distinct. I can see Santo smiling. I, I just like... All right, Santo. <laughs> no, it, it, it doesn't have to do with anything he's saying. Like, he's, like here's the thing. 
Matt's completely right about most <laughs> most of the stuff about about Dark no, Souls. No, most like, things. You were right in the first iteration. No, no, right no, no not those things. <laughs> it's it's more like. All right, are we going to have this fight or aren't we? This is the fucking Ross and Rachel of this podcast oh, at this God. point. <laughs> Do it. Do it. Unleash. Oh, we can't. Uh, we're so segued already. <laughs> but go counterpoint quick. If you were going to counterpoint. Uh, yes. Okay, good. Uh, uh, I wasn't just, going to counterpoint. I wanted to move on to something else. Just, well, we'll do that then. just like drop a teaser uh, to the actual uh, Dark Souls fight episode that's coming eventually. Yeah. Well, we just need to learn what your game type is as well. Yeah, uh, so for me, I would say I'm an investigator. Oh. Which is kind of like an explorer of the whole mechanics thing, but, uh, but slightly different because I also really like mystery games. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, I, so, you know, fl- let's let's add some flavor into this thing. Uh, yeah, so when I play games, I'm interested in yeah investigating the mechanics figuring out the mechanics and figuring out how they work like if i'm going to look up anything about a game it's not uh what's the best way to do x how like or even like how do you unlock y it's like okay how does this stuff work like i look up damage formulas and stuff like that yeah and and i i use like that knowledge that you know is kind of a pain in the ass in most games to figure out when you're just like trying to engage with it some of the time to like determine my own way of how to best exploit that and for like the the de facto card game magic like i there it is drink hey uh like you can i do double if you recognize the oblique references earlier <laughs> yeah uh, like i don't look up okay, what are the best cards for X situation? I go on, like, the Gather, the Magic uh, card database, and pour over cards and try to find just interesting, like, obscure mechanics and stuff like that. Like, one of my favorite decks to play uses a card that turns all non-creature, non-equipment artifacts into equipment oh yeah i so, remember you messing around with this so oh, it's that, that sounds extremely exploitable it and the equipment becomes you equip it to a creature for the cost of its mana cost and it gives plus x power which is also equal to the mana cost which for Equipment like that's really expensive to you actually use that yeah. in the way that you're supposed to use that. However, zero cost artifacts you can equip those for free. So there's a few artifacts that you know have an X in their cost where you can spend any amount into that. And when you do that, the just as a quirk of the rule system, when they're on the battlefield, X is always zero. Uh, so usually they have counters or something like that to define what X was when you played it. Uh, so I, you know, equip those two creatures that get bonuses when they have equipment on them and stuff like that. I like there's a creature in the deck that makes a three-one elemental every combat step for each equipment that is equipped to it. So when I play a card that makes all my lands into artifacts and I equip all my lands to this creature and make, like, 17 elementals to swing on my opponent, that's hilarious. That is pretty funny. It's not actually that good. The deck doesn't work that well most of the time, but I don't care. Like, 
it's not about winning, it's about having fun on the way there. Yeah. Although sometimes it's about winning. Sometimes, sometimes it's, it's very winning. much about winning. Actually, uh, I'm... As you're describing this, uh, what came to my mind was on a recent video on our YouTube channel where we played Roller Coaster Tycoon, uh, the first level of the first game uh, in the multiplayer open source remake, uh, Santo and I were uh, talking about the optimal, or Santo was, was sharing his tip on the optimal strat for placing your exits and entries to rides and how you were you had a, a theory based on abusing the game AI or the game pathfinding of the of the people that ride the rides so that every time they visit an intersection, basically they make a choice about which direction to go that's random. And so if you put an entrance to the ride as the first thing that they encounter at the exit, then they have a chance to just go right back in. Yeah. And, and since it's random, you know, you can get the highest amount of turnover out of a person before they leave the park if they ride, if they walk around less. And so it, it, and I looked it up and that is how the pathfinding works. Oh, is it? It is? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because so I, 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 I know that. Most of the time. Unless, unless. Unless they're specifically heading towards a certain thing. Yeah. If yeah. they have a map, they can specifically head to certain attractions and then they just do the smart thing of. Yeah taking the shortest path there. Yeah, if you've ever played Roller Coaster Tycoon, try making a path that's, like, more than one tile wide and see how your uh, <laughs> guests try and navigate that, because they can't. Yeah, in the original Roller Coaster Tycoon, that was a nightmare, because the pathfinding, literally every tile would just randomly choose a direction to go in. Although, open Roller Coaster Tycoon... They've made some improvements, for they've sure. They've made some improvements, and two tile wides generally work correctly. Uh, above that, it, it still gets dicey. I've also seen, I've also seen uh, people go into completely empty maze rides and just wander around and not, <laughs> and not go to the exit immediately. So uh, pathfinding in that game is pretty 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 spectacular. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, yeah, it's just funny because it's like the perfect example where like you're really drilling down into how the engine actually calculates things and makes decisions, and then using that to inform your gameplay. Yeah. So, investigator, explorer, I forgot yours already. Novelty seeker. Novelty seeker. That's a good one. What did you have, Sean? Turophile. And to define turophile, that's a cheese lover. Uh, for the first uh, step is to find the cheese. I would just like what to is... point out you have cheesed your own fucking list by finding the fancy word for cheese. That's right. Yes. So first off, I should state I'm lactose intolerant, so this is the only way I can truly enjoy cheese to its fullest extent. The first step is to find the cheese. What are people doing to fuck with this game? Understand the cheese. How, how does it work fundamentally? Get the cheese. Sometimes it takes effort in order to be able to acquire this, or money, or whatever the fuck, and I will get the cheese at any cost. Then I will exploit the cheese and start messing around with it, usually resulting in catastrophic breakdown of the game and or psychology of my opponents. Then I will master the cheese so that I can use the cheese to break the game and use the cheese to make more cheese. And finally, I will beat the cheese to death and ram it down everyone's throat until <laughs> the game is over. That, that That is the unfortunate life cycle of a cheese-loving man whore like me. Yeah, you you imagine that asshole who played Snake and Brawl, and that's that's what Sean is. 
If you yeah, want to go oh back God. to Melee, Sean was the one practicing wave dashing for hours on end just so he could try and win some matches in Smash Bros. <laughs> this is the kind of guy who, when we get together, when we got together to play a board game called Eclipse once, which is this like three hour long space, uh, it's a four space four X epic uh, that we've played like maybe like four times up to that point and are still like trying to like figure out exactly like okay like how to play this game well sean's the one in the corner looking up guides and looking up the tier list on which uh races to play sean's the guy you sit down and play a game of chess against and he's on his phone looking at the best starting positions and ending positions and kill moves and what all the special fucking names are for them so (laughs) as you can tell we have all been impacted psychologically by this yes (laughs) this is some harsh psychological warfare that he uh on chess the only chess opening i know is the bong cloud opening the bong cloud's the best that's the only opening i need to know (laughs) oh my gosh yeah i think i think uh for me there's this fundamental thirst for 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 knowledge at any cost um and uh video games are an excellent way to to flex that More side like winning at any cost yes <laughs> at the cost of at the cost of all sanity um <laughs> there's some games so what i find is with randomized games randomized games can kind of be my kryptonite where it either takes a lot of skill or a lot of determination or just an incredible amount of mastery over over multiple elements and i will burn what's interesting is I, at first i will burn hours upon hours trying to win this and then eventually if i cannot i will one day find acceptance and then continue doing this cycle because now i've come to enjoy my suffering which is I, I why i have 750 hours in noita yeah, I was gonna ask. without ever having won it uh, but Noita is actually a very. I will sh- shove this game into the deck building, surprisingly, category because what I actually found was in a guide. It explained very succinctly I, I how the spells in a wand are actually mechanically. Um, uh, mechanically, they work exactly like a mini deck of cards that you either draw from randomly or in a specific order, and. Now, normally, when you play the game, this just intuitively looks like what it does on on paper. But as you start to unlock endgame spells, you en- it ends up doing things to your wand that can only truly be understood if you actually bring this analogy back. Um, and these spells are all named after Greek letters, and they do really hilarious things uh, that, once again, let you cheese the game and do things that were surprisingly intended by the developers uh, and usually result in your immediate and disappointing dismemberment and or death uh, because you didn't think through the fact that you could create something so powerful that everything on the screen disappears including your flailing corpse Um, so yeah what's interesting is that was the first game where I realized that applying an analogy of cards to the mechanic could actually enhance my way of improving my damage. And at first, I thought it was a little bit of namby-pamby bullshit off of a YouTube video. However, there's a mod that lets you practice uh, crafting your wands and seeing how much damage. On average, when I first started playing Noida, I would say that, you know, my my wands were always on par. But as I learned this fantastic power of my wands, uh, I can build things that do... Th- thousands of damage instead of tens uh which is feels pretty great uh, i i i will admit i'm a bit confused because 
from what I recall seeing you play Noida, you can combine spell effects on a wand. So they're not, like, it's not one at a time, it's all at once. Yeah, so uh, certain... But some of the stuff stacks. Together. Yeah. Like it multiplies effects together. Yeah. So there's, there's modifier. It's basically the wand fires tiles from left to right. You get a number of slots on the wand, right? So there's projectile modifiers that change the way a basic projectile uh, behaves. And if you draw one of those, it gets applied to the next projectile and you draw the next card kind of thing. So I guess I, I can see the the deck analogy as like a way of understanding I like like what's happening. That's a, I mean, I if it's like if not a random sequence, I don't think it's the best If that's a deck analogy, analogy there's, fucking Dead Space is a deck building game. I mean, it's a stack. It's Girl's a space program is a deck building game. Oh my god, yes. Because <laughs> you're building you're the sequence of... Uh, all, all we're stages. arguing about is ways to conceptualize first in, first out, first in, last out. Like, Ah, uh, yes. The, the, so uh, if you want... If you imagine that as a deck of cards, you can imagine that as a deck of cards. Deck of cards is a great thing. You can lost things with deck cards. But, actually, you know what, Sean, you got something else. Go ahead. Yeah. Actually, you know what? Just to relate, me and Matt and I were playing this uh, regular card game yesterday <laughs> called... Uh, some people call it golf. Uh, I learned it from my fam, and we call it uh, the sixes game. Um, and what's interesting about it is, you know, here's here's your game relying on, you know, a lot of random elements of, of what you're going to get. But there's also... It, to me, it definitely doesn't feel so random. It really feels... Uh, more strategic. Um, and, and what's interesting about that is I think that there's also that very same learning curve that applies to how well some under, someone understands the mechanics of a game. Like, for example, when I play against Santo, if, if, if our play experience involves building a deck, I know I'm fucked because, uh, the, the, the command of, of the mechanics of Magic the Gathering that, uh, there you go. You got to drink again. Uh, that Santo <laughs> would have uh, over magic um, is is vastly superior to mine, and he'll come up with ways to destroy me that just weren't conceptually possible to me until I got my ass pounded to sand. Um, so yeah, that's 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 interesting. Is uh, you know, randomness can level the playing field between different players with different skill sets, but at the same time, it can do that at the cost of it feeling fair. Um, one person or another. Uh, but the Sixes game is one that's very interesting. Where, um, yeah, and and most games you know have that 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 scaling power curve where you know if if there's two players who have been playing it for roughly the same amount of time, they're going to be at roughly the same skill level no matter what. But then there's some where it really depends on on what they were doing with their time when they were learning it, and you can have two players who invested the same amount of time but because of the path that they took would completely there's it's it's quite not balanced and that's why i don't play magic anymore because goddamn, you gotta spend so much time researching to play that game like or, or you could just get good there is getting good but i mean the thing is is as that's as you get a draft yeah i mean this draft yeah, right <laughs> but as an explorer well, no, draft is the most prep you need the most prep to play drafts. Yeah, you do. <laughs> but as an explorer, for me, the deck building part is the best part. I don't fucking like playing the game that much. I like going, okay, I have 300 cards on the floor in front of me. How are these going to match together and work together? 
I like having a limited card pool and just like seeing what happens sort of thing. That takes all fucking day and you will never play that goddamn deck. And it's like, God, I can't, I love this, but you can't do it anymore. It's too much time, which is why the sort of like the random small deck building deck roguelike has apparently captured my attention because I just can't touch magic and maintain a career because it's just no. I get too into it. <laughs> and uh, one yeah. of the uh, one of the most interesting things that I think that these um, games can do uh, is they can really exploit the difference between a physical card game and a digital card game. There's a lot of mechanics that only can work in a digital space. And I think those are really, like, cool to see. Uh, I was initially, like, actually really excited for freaking, like, Hearthstone when that came out. Because I'm like, oh, this is a digital-only card game. And some of the things that they were talking about, it made, like, a ton of sense. Like, they said, okay, well, this is digital-only. Uh, that means that we can balance cards yeah. later. Like, you can, you can put out a balance patch for it and... In Magic, they absolutely refuse to do functional errata most of the time, except in a few extremely rare cases that don't make sense to me. Uh, yeah, usually, they just ban the cards from competitive play. Well, well, some sometimes they'll they'll like do do functional errata on one part of a card and not another part of the card. Like there was a specific card where. Uh, it was a Planeswalker, and basically Planeswalkers have a bunch of different abilities you can choose from that they do every turn. One of the effects was you untap two, you draw a card and untap two of your lands at the end of turn. But it was a mandatory effect, you had to do it. So that caused confusion uh, sometimes because like, well what if you didn't have any tapped lands? What happens then? You have to untap untap your opponent's lands. You basically always had to choose a target, and it was confusing for new players because they might think, okay, I can't untap already untapped things. So they functionally eradicated that to make it so that you can't... Like, it's an optional thing. But there was another ability on the card where you could put any uh, card on the table that wasn't a land third from the top of the owner's deck. However, the problem is that this also included Teferi. So there was a style of deck that oh. got made where they just wanted to stall the game out so hard that the opponent couldn't do anything and they would make sure that they couldn't d lose by decking out by just putting Teferi back in their deck uh. constantly. And it created this horrible experience where people would actually take these decks to tournaments, go to time every single round, incredibly un-engaging un uh, gameplay, and they... All they had to do was say, this was an unintended effect, which they said, and makes that it could, you know, tuck itself into the deck. But they refused to do that. Huh. But, you know, digital card game, errata is extremely easy. That's something you can do. And other things like how digital card games can play with hidden information zones, uh, like Hearthstone has a couple effects that add cards to your deck mid-play. Yes. 
And that's a really cool thing to do. I don't necessarily know if it's the best game mechanic for balance or fun, but it's a cool-ass thing. It's actually in most of these these card games now, and it is... It's fun to play with. You can either, like, uh, in Trials of Fire, there's actually a character completely based around creating random cards in your hand, and you don't know what they're going to do most of the time. And it's a very amusing way to play. Um... And there's a lot of different strategies you can have around it. Or you can actually just create... I've seen it with, like, um, free cards. You'll pay mana up front to get free cards, like, tucked in your deck or whatever. That that cool. doesn't really yeah. work in, like, a physical card game, right? But, like, one of them's literally Shiv. You just put a Shiv somewhere, <laughs> right? And when it comes up, you get a free Shiv. And that's, that's actually Slay the Spire and Trials of Fire. There you go. Card games are just good, man. Yeah. Except magic. Ma- oh, see, here's here's the thing, though. Magic's the best card game. Like... Is that just because it's been every card game at this point? Well, it was it was arguably the first car- uh, competitive card game, and... Competitive I've TCG. Pl- there was poker before. I mean, yeah, but... Po- <laughs> yeah, but poker's shit. Uh, but it's... Magic has poisoned me. It's corrupted me to where I can't look at a lot of other card games without looking at them through a magic lens. Yeah. Because there's been so many of them that have been inspired, whether they like it or not, whether they've even intended for it or not, by the mechanics of magic and how everything works. Because it is so uh, foundational to the entire genre. Yeah, I don't think there's any... That's why I fucking hate Hearthstone. I don't think there's any trading card game that hasn't been influenced directly or indirectly. Because there's there's just nothing... Like, there's nothing else you could have been influenced by that wasn't influenced by magic itself. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know what the best card game is? The Monster Rancher trading card game 2 for the PS1? No, it's fucking Dark Souls, man. Come on, that's where we're standing on this right now. <laughs> You got different cards that control where your equipment goes. That's Just because what that's the rectangles called. doesn't mean they're cards. <laughs> that's a card shape. It's a card, and there's oh, shields no. that are rectangular too, so you can put a card in your card. Hold on, let me just take some notes uh, by tapping on my laptop cards. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, all right. I, I got to make sure I have the right sequence. I I got to draw the right sequence of of uh, cards from my uh, keyboard. Exactly. To type, to type this thing out. Well, what do you think a Word document is? It's just an area of bits in the shape of a card that matches the card on your keyboard. <laughs> this... I think we've extended this metaphor too far. Yeah, this so. metaphor has gotten very strange. Speaking of strange, uh, I wanted to know a little bit more about um, voice of cards that you brought up, like, yeah, at the very beginning of the podcast. Because... And I kind of don't give a shit, actually that much of a shit about the card mechanics of it. I care, like, how was the story and stuff in that game? It was fun. It was short and sweet. It was a good, like, satirical fun. Uh, it felt very, like, snarky, uh, self-mocking, like, anime kind of story. Okay, that makes um, a lot of sense. But it actually had multiple endings, which I really appreciate. Okay, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, they weren't, like, massively different, but they were enough to be like, yeah, I'll do that again. Um, 
And something they did that I actually really appreciated, being that I obviously have struggled with JRPGs, is when you beat it the first time, they actually give you an item that scares off all the random monsters to come attack you. So you basically just skip to a couple of fights and then mostly boss fights. Mm-hmm. So for, after you beat the game the first time, it only takes you about an hour or two to go back and get the next ending you want. But what's cool and what... Uh, Another way that they encourage you to replay is there's these secret, like, black cards with numbers on them that you just randomly get through the game when you play through the first time for doing, like, heroic quest-type things. Mm -hmm. And there's no explanation of what these cards are or anything like that. It's just mysterious magic card. You got mysterious card six or whatever, right? Well, when you go back, one of your options for endings is to collect all of these cards, and it gives you the the true ending, you know, obviously. But it's just a bunch of like little hidden side quest type things to do around the world. So the first time you play through it, it's just sort of like general story, you know, messing around, wandering to the environments, killing a bunch of stuff. And the second time, it's like, you know, I go find old quests. And I don't know, I, I really liked it. It did, it wasn't, because you were mentioning earlier about how in typical JRPGs, well, typical, uh, let's say the prototypical, um, a character does one thing and that's what they do. Right, in some of them, in, in in a lot of the much less interesting ones, yes, yeah, that's pretty much what this is. Like every character gets six cards. That's that's their whole deck, and you pick three that uh, you're gonna have access to, mm-hmm. basically. Um, so like the main character is probably the most generalized. He's got two healing spells. And a couple of attack spells. Then you've got your witch, who's all attack spells. Uh, Archer, which is healing and DPS. A grappler, which is kind of cool, who's like buffing in deep deeps. Actually, mostly buffing. And then the tank, because you know that's just how it works in JRPGs. But it's fun. I actually really enjoyed it. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, because like the reason I asked about the story is that uh, that game was directed by uh, Yoko Taro. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, and Yoko Taro is the one who's behind uh, the Dragon Guard games as well as the Near games, and uh, those are um, very very interesting games from like uh, story and uh, story and character standpoint. So it's good to hear that some of. Uh, some of that flavor shines through. Oh, yeah, it actually does. Like, there's... It's not the most complex story, but it's very well done, I would say. It's pretty well executed. Nice. And, I mean, it's ten hours. Like, and that's seeing everything in the game. That's, like, the perfect level of investment for me. And it matches your needlessly long titles style of game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Voice of Cards, the Isle of Dragon Roars. Like, that's pretty good. That's pretty there up go. there. Um, the, the Isle of Dragon Roars. Yes. Now, is the Isle of Dragon roaring, or is there just an island where a lot of dragons roar? There is only one dragon on an island, and it roars. There you go. Um, I hope they actually do more of them, because it seems like it's going to be like Voice of Cards campaign kind of thing, right? Um, Potentially. I hope so, because it is very amusing. Like, the narrator guy that they have doing it, he's really funny. Uh, maybe maybe the next next entry is going to be the gaze of cards. That'd be cool. Just endless waves of beholders. <laughs> oh no. Um. Oh darn! There's something else in my head about this game that was really good, and it's gone. So that's it. 
You drew a blank. I drew a blank. That's exactly it. But the other thing about Isle of Dragon is that uh, the artwork's really nice. I don't know. I'm just... I love the anime style, and it's very anime style. Like, in the same, like, satirical kind of way of, like, we know we're being anime... And this is funny. How many belts? How much? Actually, how the main character is, has a shit ton of belts. How big is the hair? It's pretty sizable. It's pretty sizable. And the men are wearing tons. Oh, I was going to say the men are all wearing tons of armor and the women are not. I'm wrong. The male grappler is wearing very little. Oh, yeah. Yep. It goes both ways. This is an equal opportunity uh, level of JRPG-ness. <laughs> I mean, some character designs in JRPGs, like, have visible bulge, so... This is true. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure Ganondorf in Melee had visible bulge. If it's he... a different culture, okay? Yeah, but if he did, it's, it's, it's the Gerudo culture. No, that's... I mean, if you're taking Ganon in Melee, that's the mood you're in. Like... <laughs> I mean, you're I like mean, swinging your big dick at people, yeah, like exactly. I'm gonna fucking smash you. And, and, and his main move, you know, he vocalizes it. And if you want uh, some uh, premium Ganon action, uh, just go search uh, Suavemente on YouTube. <laughs> it's that's a video. I don't, I don't uh, know. Actually, Smash, I think, is a perfect example of like all the different, like we were saying, all the different types of players we are. Because whenever... I don't play Smash as much as you guys, so I lose. But I always just pick one character. I'm like, okay, this is the character I'm going to just figure out how to use. Kind of thing, right? And I'll maybe cycle between two or three because I like the variety. But generally, that's how I approach it. Is, that character looks cool. I'm explore, Figure out how to use them. Like, what's his, what's the Kasumi? The, the Kazuya. Kazuya. Yeah, that's it. Um, I don't know how to do anything. I kind of know how to do like a spin kick. Or something like that, but I had fun trying it, and I had really fun, a lot of fun grabbing people and slamming in the ground, <laughs> and beating people. Yeah, and then Sean's an asshole. Yeah, Sean picks uh, between no, Sean, one, between pick? one to one to five characters, all of which every, have every some one to six. Yeah. All, Hang on. Every what? character you play has some kind of bullshit ranged attack. No, uh, list, no. list your characters. All right, so we got. Snake, who's less in rotation than normal. We got Duck Hunt. Duck Hunt. Uh, we've got Sephiroth. We've got uh, Hero. We've got Banjo-Kazooie. And we've got Lucas. Yeah, I hit all those Well, you also got King K. Rool. Ah, yes. Okay. Yeah, King so, let, let, let's count down the bullshit. I want to do this. Where right, fucking... Careless. Okay. King K. Rule and Banjo-Kazooie both have grabs that root the opponent, which are incredibly bullshit and insanely overpowered. It basically means that as soon as a opponent is above a certain percentage, like... They're going they're, to die. They're going to die. Like, <laughs> it's so difficult to... For, at least at our skill level, to play around grabs like that. Uh, you've got Hero, who everything oh. Hero does is bullshit. We got... Literally any move can crit. Well, right? all, all smash attacks can crit, okay. but these crits do like 40% damage and can kill lighter characters when they're at like, you know, 30% or something insane. Uh, and that's, we're not even going to get into the menu combat. Uh, he's, got, he's got a the, menu. Bullshit menu combat, a really strong charge uh, neutral B that sends a large projectile across the map, and you've got crits. Like, 
Yes, yeah. and, 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 and random one hit KOs from zero percent yeah. that that are ranged and come out very fast. Uh you've got uh, Snake and Duck Hunt. You don't really play as often, but just flood the map with projectiles. Uh, fucking Duck Hunt! I'll take Duck Hunt over goddamn uh, or Lu- Snake over Duck Hunt. Lucas, you only play on a couple <laughs> maps that are either walk off stages that you can abuse his back throw. Or uh, Jungle Japes, where you can just throw out uh, PK Freeze until people start coming at you, in which case you either shield and then grab them and try and throw them off the edge, or just jump to the other side and continue throwing PK Freezes. (laughs) You know, Lucas has a lot of, like, really fun and really powerful close combat moves, because he's got all those side energy things, but you never use them. And speaking of which, uh, the, the speaking, of, speaking of which, Alex played Snake once, and I saw, like, three Snake moves I've never seen in the entire game, because you just don't use them, because you do one thing over and over again. And then Sephiroth, whose sword is so oh. big that when <laughs> I play my Fire Emblem characters and try to counter, I can't counter it, because... I can't fucking hit him with my counter. He's too far away. His sword goes through platforms so he can just downstab people. Just like so much range. He's just like playing keep away. Yeah. You stab up through platforms. Yeah. You, not, you, gotta, you don't get... You go, come on, man. You gotta get like up close and personal with people. Yeah, like me. Play me, brawler. Yeah. Like, I swear, one of these days, we should just do a backdraft. Where, if you've never heard of a backdraft, is when you draft a team for the other person. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. So, you just, like, choose the absolute worst things you can possibly choose for them. Like, I want to see Sean play Little Mac. Ooh. And just get fucked. that would be interesting. Because Sean also only picks characters with good recovery. Ah. This is true. (laughs) So, we covered our character types. Santo, you're more... I picked the anime characters. Back-end stuff, yeah. (laughs) I was trying to make it technical, uh, but it's not. I mean, Smash is one of those games that I actually don't do that with. I don't really look up the properties of a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, I play... Like, with Smash, I generally play the... Smash, I love it for the chaos. So, I play some characters that are extremely chaotic. Like, I play Mr. Game & Watch. Yeah, Game & Watch is great. And... And some other characters I'm not necessarily good with, but they're, they just, like, can make interesting things happen. Yeah, that's one of the things about Smash is that, I mean, we've been playing all of us since the N64 Smash Bros. We've played all of them. Yep. Uh, we're still playing uh, Ultimate, and there's still new stuff that happens every once in a while that we've never had happen in our matches before. Yeah. Like, the fact that that's still happening, that we're seeing weird, uh, just, like, unusual or, or uncommon interactions that we hadn't seen before, very few games can be played that much and, you know, stay interesting. Totally. And, like... Like, I... On like, my, I... Like, yeah, there was like, some bullshit the other day, or, or the uh, like a couple weeks back, where uh, we were canceling Banjo Kazooie's side B with something ridiculous. Oh yeah, Ganondorf side B uh, grabs him out of it. Yeah, that's hilarious. And like this move that is invincible to fucking everything, it feels like Ganondorf can grab that shit. Can anyone else grab it? I don't know. Like um, Ridley, sh- like I'd like to try Ridley. Ridley yeah. has a side B grab. Um, oh, there's a lot of side B grabs. Yeah, 
There's a fair amount. Uh, there's those. Uh, Kazuya has his down suplex. You can suplex out of it. God damn it. <laughs> suplex the banjo. Me, me brawler suplex, uh, maybe. And then there's... A dangerous, a dangerous play, the Diddy Kong side B. There's Ooh. Incineroar. I, yeah. I don't think that would work. Yeah, th- 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 there's a few. And like I don't... Fun. And I don't know which ones do do Bowser. which ones don't because like for example on on um on water maps some people's dive kicks will kill them some people's won't and that makes me infuri- that infuriates me <laughs> because I like playing I like playing Sheik again even though I'm like terrible with Sheik and her dive kick goes through the fucking water and oh, kills her yeah that's it's funny. real bad <laughs> that's really funny and and like more than that I'm I'm a very I tend to be an extremely aggressive player in Smash. Like, you heard me, like, <laughs> rake Sean over the cools for playing Keith Boy all the time. I'm the person that's running up into your face and just, like, raw smash attacking at you. Yeah, me like, too. I don't really shield all that much. I don't really know how to use grabs all that well. I just want to run in and hit people. That's my methodology. And Alex is, Alex is the well-rounded one. He's good at everything. I mean, I I do a little bit of everything. Like the characters I main, it's a pretty random assortment. Like we got like Luigi, who is just all up close except for the fireball and uh, his greed missile. Uh, but really, the reason I love Luigi so much is the memes. His up B, oh, incredible. Yeah, yeah. His up B is my favorite move in the game. They'll delete you. Like as <laughs> it, like if you have. If you have done any move that leaves you open for a second, I'm in there. Yeah. And I, I, I'm just up being you. And because, like, me, Sean, Alex, we, we usually we play a ton and we play three-player, like, whenever Luigi's involved, it can get real hairy. Like, it makes me not want to commit to a move that I... that like, can try to kill Sean, because I know Alex will be right up next to me and just <laughs> knock me into the fucking sky. Yeah, yep. it's it's such a powerful move. It does it does a good chunk of damage, and it just throws you up at such yeah. a high velocity. Like, if you fuck it up, like, the recovery on it is so poor, like, you're gonna get... Like, Punished. somebody has time to, like, charge up a smash attack a little bit to hit you with it. Yeah. Like, it's that Although, bad. Although, I love it when there's stages where his up B actually can be sort of an evasion move that drops you on a platform above oh yeah 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 because yeah. those are always those are always fun uh, escape attempts mm-hmm. yeah and then like other characters like DDD DDD and Donkey Kong DDD and Donkey Kong who just hit hard yeah you got hard hitters you got like Diddy Kong a speedy character yeah Little Mac I actually I've gotten pretty good with Little Mac too yeah your Little Mac's very scary I I I play like it started out as a joke where I was just playing Little Mac on bad on stages where he's terrible, <laughs> like Sky World or uh, like uh, Jungle Japes, like stages where if you don't have good recovery, you're basically dead. And then I just kept doing that, and now I roast with him. <laughs> and then uh, and then yeah, like some sword characters like. Shulk is probably one of the ones I'm better, better Link at. as well. Link, yeah. oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. It's so hard to pick my favorite Link, but I think it's Toon Link in, in, in Ultimate. I think the one thing that I've noticed is we're actually about equally good with knowing the properties of our projectiles that 
a killing blow or, or, or a very exploitive blow can be landed with projectiles no matter who it is like alex characters like you know link with your bombs or your arrows <laughs> Santo and uh, and and we fit trainer. Yes, Ugh. fear the soccer ball, and it, it, it's quite interesting because that means that at any point, any a, any two person combat can be interrupted by the third player who gets to perhaps handpick the outcome of of that particular encounter if if they're playing their cards right, um, and and then exploit the results of that afterwards. See, playing your cards right. Smash is a deck builder. There you go. <laughs> Smash is a deck builder. Uh, oh, yeah. I, for, I, I, I also Oh, forgot. man. They should have put in, like, a character with card, like, a deck mechanic in there. Oh, don't tempt uh, them. I'll put in Yu-Gi-Oh! or something like that. That's what I was thinking. Get fucking oh, Kaiba in there. That would Okay, that might be kind of dope, actually. All right. His final smash. It's got to be Blue Eyes, White Dragon. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's, it's the one where the Blue, Blue Eyes Ultimate Dragon. Yeah, Blue Eyes Ultimate Dragon. Mm. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> where even was your childhood? I... I... Three-headed, blue-eyed, white dragon, bro. I did not stick with Yu-Gi-Oh for very long. No one did. But anyway, uh, I almost forgot Piranha Plant. Another oh, character. fucking Piranha Plant. Piranha Plant is weird. It, Piranha Plant is just a weird character, but Piranha Plant has amazing angles. And yeah. the, like you can do some, some hot garbage yeah. with his angle. You can kill people when they're off the edge of the map. Well, from complete safety. From complete safety while they're trying to recover. It's like... Yeah. You can, like, lob... You can lob his, like, neutral <clears throat> B on such strange directions. His recovery is absolutely, like... Not fair. Unfair. His recovery... Like, you can recover from literally being off-screen on the bottom. Yeah. Yep. You can, like, recover... You can recover on Final Destination by going around the fucking bottom of the platform for some times. Yeah. <laughs> it's and insane. Then, and then you've got, like, his down B, which is just a really fun move. Again, with arbitrary angles. Yeah. <laughs> it, like, it, it goes it, from, like, negative, like, 15 degrees to whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's possible, uh... He's not fully protected when he's out on that move, but it's hard to hit him. His pot has yeah. super armor. Yeah. <laughs> he's completely a pothead. Like, yeah. the character that I'm most scared of... Well, not... Okay, maybe not most scared of, but the character that I'm, like, most unnerved to fight from you, Alex, is definitely your Piranha Flan. Yeah, it's cause... like, it just makes... It just sends a freaking chill up my spine. Yeah. And that's what, yeah, that's one of the interesting things I like about Smash 2, is that I'd say, as compared to a lot of other fighting games, it has an extremely wide variety, especially now, of, like, some of the play styles that, some, that the various characters have. Mm -hmm. Like, there's some weird characters in Smash. My, like, Minecraft Steve is just... Yeah, he's bananas. I yeah. don't even know what's going on with that. You mean Minecraft Alex? Yes, Minecraft Alex. Yeah. yeah. Minecraft Alex, Alex is in Smash, so... Everybody's in Smash. Yep. <laughs> Alex. Alex. By the way, my favorite fun fact about Smash is that uh, uh, the narrator is ProZD. Uh, really? Yes. Who? Oh, he's a YouTuber slash voice actor. He's done a bunch of big stuff. Oh, yeah, he does a ton. He does him. a ton of little skits on YouTube. They're pretty uh, funny. And they're yeah, he's a, he's very very funny. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Which one did he start on? Did he start on four? Or Jay Star on Ultimate. I think so. Yeah. Huh. That's cool. I didn't know that. I appreciate your fun fact. 
That that was a fun fact. Yeah. Yepo. It's a fact I didn't know. Yeah. And my Smash characters are all over the damn place. Yeah. Well, you know, you don't play. You don't yeah. play. Play. Like we do. No. Yeah, we literally play Smash every time we finish recording. A you know what? Let, let me take you back to Smash Brothers Melee. See, I played the when, crap out of that one. When the black hole glitch was a thing. Once this again... Just, this is just a Smash Brothers episode now. Yeah, yeah. We've, so. we've transitioned beyond its original purpose. The black hole glitch and all the shenanigans that came out of that. I don't know how many times we figured, we tried different ways to trigger that and, and do stupid things with it. Because that was a very game-breaking glitch in all sorts of ways. A couple times, yeah. Yeah. I miss Melee. Melee I miss was I, so much fun. I, I, I miss when I was demonstrably better than you guys at, at yeah. Smash. <laughs> I, I was pretty good at Melee. I liked Melee. Back when Fox was so good. Almost and, too good. And, and wave dashing was the thing. Back in Melee... I didn't shield or dodge. How did you play? I still was whooping these guys' asses, though. Jeez. I was all aggression all the time. Dodging's so good, though. No dodging, life. no grabbing, just running up to people with Roy and smacking them in the face. <laughs> it was so satisfying. I mean, that's the thing. Like, If your timing's good and you have a good sense of how the other player is playing then you don't need to shield if you're just not where they're attacking yeah I guess the thing, like, if I had to say like my superpower when it comes to Smash compared to you guys is I think I'm way better in the air than you guys yeah like the amount of times I've meteor smashed you to your death uh. <laughs> it's like if Byleth jumps off the stage at you uh, be careful because you might get an axe in the face <laughs> I have a feeling after all this conversation that our appetite for Smash might uh, might be at maximum. No, I'm going to play Monster Train. You guys can play Smash. Uh, this was the deck building game episode. I'm going to respect that <laughs> by going and playing a deck building game. I think that's only fair. I mean, As the special guest. No, no, no. I, I'm going to go play Halo Infinite uh, so I can <laughs> customize my Spartan with the cards. Uh, the don't color even bring cards. that up, okay? They okay. You can. You know that they put cards into Halo Five. What? I was joking. <laughs> yeah, in their like huge multiplayer mode that they added for that game that they pushed really hard. That sounded kind of interesting. Where it was like two, it was like PvPVE, where there were two teams that huh. were competing, but there was also uh, neutrals on the battlefield, kind of like Titanfall. Okay. Um, okay. Where. Uh, they had, like, limited card packs for, like, weapons and vehicles and stuff like that. So huh. if you wanted to spawn a Banshee in a match or a Ghost in a match, you need to get a card for it first. And you, you know, unlock some of those through the progression or pay for them. Yeah. Wait, so that's literally pay to win. Yeah. Just straight up. Yep. Like, buy a vehicle. In the it's, middle of a match. It's, buy the, buy it's, the opportunity to get open a vehicle. That's, that's some hot trash. It's also the exact same card system that Battlefront uses. Not vehicles, but all the best abilities are locked in cards that you only unlock with money. That's complete garbage. And leveling up. Well, the nice thing is Battlefront 2, all the cards are unlocked now, so all that garbage is gone. But you know. how was it at launch? How yeah. was it, how was it before government started getting involved? <laughs> um, it was an EA game. Yes, it was. Yep. 
Oh, was that one of the was that one of the ones that they were like, yeah, this is literally gambling. You're yep. not allowed. That was the Did one. Yeah, Bel- that. Belgium. Belgium was like, nah, son. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, fuck you, EA games. Though I will say, god damn, FIFA's a popular game. <laughs> Holy crap! Yeah. Now you now you've you've been world traveled. Now you yeah. know. Now Dang. you know. Everybody. The, wherever they mention video games, it's not like, oh, I'm playing Call of Duty or I'm playing Apex. It's, I'm playing fucking FIFA. Have you played FIFA? Do you want to play some FIFA? You want to come over and play FIFA? I'm like, I don't even know what a FIFA is. <laughs> like, I mean, um, I've heard of first in, first out. What's this one? First in, first all? What's this? First in for ass? Like, come on. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. And you can, you can like... Fucking throw my name out some star power. Like, oh man, I know some dude who worked on FIFA. Oh, that's right. I should do that actually. <laughs> yeah, and then you can go into the I know a guy who worked extremely long guy. credits. Hey, you should, you should listen to the podcast of this guy who worked on FIFA. It's really great. Yeah, they actually have really refined opinions on video games, and they definitely talk about soccer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Football. 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 I, I love Super Mario Strikers. That was a great game. Damn right. Well, to be fair, Super Mario Golf is also a fucking great game. Mm-hmm. On GameCube. I don't know about any of the if other If this is just a random podcast on the topic of golf, we played golf with your friends. Uh, oh, one, yeah. We played one <laughs> match so far. Well, yeah. One, one set of 18 holes. One, one set of 18. Um, I loved it. There you are did? some fucking trash holes that made made me... Like mad, like very upset. Yeah, because the, they they were unfair, yeah. unfair holes that the devs were just like mocking the player with. But you know what? It had cool game mechanics I've never seen in a golf game before, and I love that shit. Well, we didn't. Giving have... a golf ball a jetpack is awesome. I've seen that a few times, but more importantly, we didn't have fucking player collision on. We unfortunately we did not. No, no. That's why. Okay, it does have it. We just it, here's, it, it defaults to off, and we didn't turn it on because we didn't realize that it wasn't default off. Yeah. Here, here's another like thing that says that I'm an investigator. The first thing I do whenever I turn on a game is go to the options menu. No. Ah. Every single time. Mm. I, I want I want to know the game options. I want to know what what things I can turn on and off. That's fair. Alex and I just learned Killing Floor music has lyrics. But yeah. accidentally going into the Killing menu. Floor 2 has lyrics for the music that are <laughs> optional, but yeah. they default off. Which they probably should, but no, it's there. you got a default lyrics on. Come on. I mean, it depends. Well, okay, no. You need to uh, build some kind of gameplay, uh, like AI director system, where the lyrics kick in at certain moments. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like, you're about to die. You're about to die! (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Well, I think that's probably a good way to wrap this up, because I was about to spin off on Doom music, and we don't need to start to... It's good. It's real good. I mean, it's not not Terminator, but yeah, it's good. I was actually doing Duke Nukem for some reason. Like no, it's like E one M one is a is a hot banger. Anyways, yeah. Uh, wrapping up, let's do that. This has been the Angry Sun Zone podcast. If you would like to check us out on other social media, Santa will put it in now. <laughs> yes, if you would like to figure out 
where else you can find our content, it's as easy as pie. You just go to our YouTube channel, Angry Sun Zone. You can follow us on Twitter, at Angry Sun Zone. Uh, we started our, our at Angry Sun Zone Reddit account, so you might see us prowling the internet there. Uh, and if you want to send us an email, which somebody has yet to do, uh, <laughs> you can send us one at angrysunzone at outlook.com. And at this point, we no matter what you send, we'll fucking read it. Like, yeah. we're desperate at this point. But I mean, do you think maybe the reason why you haven't been sent anything is because you say you're prowling the internet? Like, prowling is never something you want to claim you're doing. It's never a good thing to be I'm actively the, pursuing. I'm on the prowl. No, the reason this, re- this is no, a cat-like here, podcast, okay? No, Matt, here's the reason why nobody has sent an email into this fucking podcast is that the only people that listen to this podcast are people we know, and they talk to us directly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've I've had several moments of oh, I could do it, do an email. I bet they haven't had an email yet, and been like, I'll just fucking message him. Hey, yeah. that was a good podcast. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. So yeah, for. Hey, if you're listening to the podcast and we don't know you, please get in touch. <laughs> we want to know you. That's right. Yeah. Let's, let's build an angry-ass community. <laughs> let's get we, angry. We, we, we got to think of, like, ev- like ev- everybody has, like, the, a, spe- a specific term that they call their fans and stuff like that. Like, so we got to think of that. Like Angry stars? The angry celestial bodies. That's the angry too gas long. giants. That's too angry long. gassers. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh, and then when you guys get big and you start doing tier lists, you have the angry black holes, the angry novas. Yeah, the angry the, giants. Once, once we inevitably inevitably start a Patreon, that that'll be our uh, reward tier names. Yeah, <laughs> all just obscure celestial bodies. Yeah, and the lowest oh one's gotta be brown door. No, the lowest one's gonna be a cork. Nah, <laughs> lo- 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 lowest one's Jupiter. Yeah, fuck Jupiter. Whoa, king Whoa. of the planets, the king of the planets, but ugly, ugly duckling of the stellar family. How dare you! I mean, listen, Saturn, listen, Saturn's when, pretty ugly duck. When, when Saturn's co- not a, okay. Well, uh, to be fair, Jupiter's not a failed star. Blah blah blah. Old outdated science, but it's a good joke. Listen, when it comes to anything that's named after anything, when you're trying to rank it, you need to consider if there is an anime that bases characters off of that thing. So you saying Jupiter sucks means that you're saying Sailor Jupiter sucks, and that is objectively wrong. <laughs> but. I never watched Sailor Moon. They all have... All the planets have a sailor, right? Yes. What about Pluto? Pluto does. And that's why Pluto's still a planet, goddammit. <laughs> There's magical p- girl powers locked around it. It's canon. Damn right. Maybe we should do an anime podcast. <laughs> I mean... I would... Okay. I would be down to do an episode of anime, even though I don't really watch anime. We're still recording, guys. Yes, yeah, I know we are. This is the outro. This is the outro. This is... Listen, this, this is a special done. guest this is the outro. Most, this is the most meandering podcast we'll hopefully ever have. Hopefully we'll be on track on future episodes, but you're just going to have to tune into those to find out. Yeah, you know, this, we, we this, picked this, our topics. This is a meandering episode because it's got our special guest star. Yeah. And now all is lost. Now all is lost.
Now we heard. Yeah, we, we're the, fine. This episode's drawing in the viewers with our star power. Oh, yeah. God. I mean, yeah, our star power, Maximus, on YouTube. Check him out. He has way more subscribers than we do. <laughs> <laughs> yep, there's content out there. And I made some of it. <laughs> okay, well, that was fun, guys. I'm going to get on a plane, I think. Maybe I'll sleep first. We'll see. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I'll uh, listen to next week's. Absolutely. Uh, enjoy uh, the 10 hour time difference. After the 18 hour flight, I sure will. Well, safe travels. Hi, right, bye, guys. Oh. He's leaving on a jet plane. Don't know when he'll be back again. There once was bees. Oh no. Bees. 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 Honeybees. Is honey a liquid? The scientific analysis of honey couldn't say shit it was closer by zero point <laughs> six zero one seven Percent times <laughs> pi squared more pi than cake. <laughs> Beekeepers don't make. Bees. <laughs> they breed bees. It's <laughs> all bullshit. As everybody knows, bees are. <laughs> bees and not scientists <laughs> however wasps are scientists <laughs> <clears throat> unbeknownst to Christians <laughs> wasps Worship Satan and party <laughs> like Jesus dances. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs>
That's enough. The dancing of that. Jesus. That's enough of this. <laughs> we have entered the Twilight oh, Zone. Fuck happened there. <laughs>